0: Last week we defined what Paul meant by the word law. We want to keep doing that so that we don't get confused. We talked about how that the Book of Galatians is the most dense with the word law, and uh, we want to reemphasize that when Paul uses the word law, unless he identifies it as the law of Christ, that he means the old covenant economy under Moses whereby Israel was to secure a blessing or be cursed and of course due to their sinful nature they were continually and ultimately cursed except of course during times of regenerate leadership and uh, those are exciting times to read of course but uh even those leaders failures led to national doom right so let's uh Let's uh, write this up here so that we can remember that when we say law, we are referring to the Old Covenant there. And um, we're not, I repeat, we're not talking about the uh, Hebrew Scriptures. So when we write, when we talk about, when Paul talks about the law, he's not referring to the Hebrew Scriptures. All right? So he's not. He's not saying, uh, hey, we don't need to worry about the Psalms anymore. You don't need to be consumed or concerned with Psalm 119. Certainly what a beautiful Psalm that is. To remind us that the Hebrew Scriptures are valuable, we remember 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God, right? And is profitable. Amen. Amen. Uh, Two points of summary that I want to bring up in the beginning here. Paul taught us that uh, through Christ we are sons of Abraham. 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 Hallelujah. Which means, uh, or the the covenant of Abraham then bypasses the old covenant. Chapter 3, verse 9. We are blessed with Abraham. Chapter 3, verse 17. There's a uh, time period there. He throws out to help us see there is a gap there, even though Jewish tradition teaches that Abraham kept the law somehow. uh, There's a time period there. Do you remember what that time period is? 430 years. years. Boy, that's really helpful to remember. So that's one of the points there that he uh, puts in there to remind us. So through Christ, we are sons of Abraham, which bypasses the old covenant, and through the spirit, he says that we are sons of God, which is better than the old covenant. Everybody got that down? That's sort of a couple summary points I wanted to remind you of. All right, Galatians chapter 4, verse number 8, if you would please. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Clearly, these are the Galatian people he's talking directly to. They were pagans. But now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to weak and beggar? uh, I'm sorry, worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. Interesting little phrase there. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So look at the verse there, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved. So let's let's look a little bit at that idea there of being enslaved. So he's telling the Gentiles they are, or they were enslaved. Look at verse 7, if you would. He says to them, so you are no longer a slave, but a son of God. And if a son, then an heir through God. So here's the issue now. He says you were enslaved, but now you're no longer enslaved. So these are Gentiles. They've come to Christ. And um, he says that in verse 6, and because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So if you've been saved, the Spirit of God lives inside of you, and you are no longer a what, church? You're no longer a slave. slave. Therefore, you should no longer live like a slave. slave. Good news. Look at verse number 1, though. Not just Gentiles were enslaved. Verse number 1 of chapter 4, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a... Slave, though he is the owner of everything, verse number 3, in the same way when we, remember the we and the uh, you uh, contrast that he uses throughout chapter 3 and 4, meaning the Jews and the you, the Gentiles, verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world." So he's telling us here that not only were the Gentiles enslaved, but the Jews were also enslaved. So he's going to show us then that Jews and Gentiles were both enslaved. And so we're going to try to work through this slowly. I have a good bit of notes here because I'm hoping not to leave you confused. By the way, that is my gift, to confuse so if you've been confused, don't feel alone. That's, that's, that's what I'm really good at. And, and, and that means I've succeeded. So, hey, we've done well. And then verse 9, But now that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again, look at the phrase now, to the weak and beggarly elements Whereunto ye desire, that that word there is interesting, again to be in bondage. So let's try to delve, uh, dive into this issue here. What are the weak and beggarly elements or what he calls earlier in the chapter here, uh, I think it's verse number one, I'm sorry, verse number three, what he calls the elementary principles. What are these, uh, we'll put it here. What are these elementary principles? Elementary. I guess you have to have gone to elementary school to spell it right, and maybe I just did. How about that? Principles. All right, principles. What are these elementary principles that he also calls weak and beggarly? And we just pointed out that that uh, phrase, elementary principles, is found in verse number three. So he says you desire to... Uh, go back to these, this, this type of bondage. Let me read my notes here to try to make sure I get it clearly. It is, or this is what is descriptive, or this is descriptive, of the old world order before the resurrection of Christ and the advent of the Holy Spirit. Often this is what the term flesh refers to in Paul's Letters. A good example of this would be found in Romans 8, 4, when he speaks of walking not according to the flesh. Now, with that in mind, Jewish and Gentile believers, that would be us, we're Gentiles. I don't know if we have any former Jewish people in the room, but uh, both systems... Or or let me just say this, both Jewish and Gentile believers have been set free from the elementary principles. Both systems of bondage, mosaic and pagan, belong to the old creation that was characterized by the flesh. Stay with me. Listen again to verse number 9. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements? Whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. So they were in pagan bondage. Now they are headed, heading toward Jewish bondage. So I want you to see what Paul is doing here. He is equating their bondage, Jewish and demonic pagan, as, both, as they are both sub-Christian and belonging to a former age. Dr. Richard Gaffin uh, calls it this. He calls it the sphere of human existence. But I want you to understand this. Paul is not calling the law demonic, but rather their commitment to the law demonic. Since the advent of Christ and the Spirit, we must not turn back the clock of redemptive history, but rather through the power of the Spirit rest by faith in the work of Christ. So far, so good? So far? Okay, now, we find the same type of explanation in the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2, but we're going to find a different word. We're not going to find the word principles. We're going to find the word spirits. All right? Elementary spirits. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Again, in verse number 20 of the same chapter, Colossians chapter 2, he says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Again, he goes from principles, and here in Colossians, to spirits. The elementary principles are the building blocks of this world held in place by demonic forces. Now, the principles by which the Jews and Gentiles lived were governed as, as well as the spirit beings through whom those principles were mediated. They were governed differently and had different spirits mediating them. That is, they were mediated by uh, angels and demons. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Look what he says here. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through, what's the next word? Angels by an intermediary. So understand here that what the apostle is talking about is he's talking about life before the resurrection of Christ. So the elemental principles of the old world were the building blocks of the old world, and they were controlled by spirits. For the demonic, I'm sorry, for the pagan world, it was held in place or put in place by demons, and for the Jews, it was the angels. Does that make sense so far? And what he is saying is that it was bondage for both. Okay? For the Jews and for the pagans. And for the Galatian people, Paul is saying you don't want to go back to either because both systems are systems of bondage. But we have been delivered from either type of bondage and we want to go forward into the kingdom of Christ. Okay, this is why Paul can continually say these words. The law is good and holy. Right? Because it was angels. The spirits behind the covenant of Israel were of God. The spirits behind the pagan nations were demonic. Again, however, both were part of the old creation, and all who come to Christ are delivered by the finished work of Christ and the indwelling spirit. For example, if you were to read Hebrews chapter 1... The Bible tells us that Jesus is better than the angels. If you're familiar with Hebrews chapter 1, when I first got saved, we had a preacher come through and he was telling you, you ought to memorize this chapter and this chapter. And I was newly saved. And it sounded to me like Hebrews was a book in the Old Testament. I didn't know any better. But what he said was, you ought to, uh, actually what he said was, you ought to memorize Psalm chapter 1. I got the story wrong. He said, you ought to memorize Psalm chapter 1. Well, all I had was a pocket New Testament. So I was trying to figure out what he said you ought to memorize. I knew it was something in the Old Testament. And all I had was a New Testament. And I saw this book called Hebrews. So I went and memorized Hebrews chapter 1. So now I know Hebrews chapter 1 because I was going to memorize that Old Testament book. I hadn't had the first idea. Okay, but Hebrews chapter one goes through over and over how that Jesus is better than the angels. Okay, but the comparison there is for Hebrew people to understand that we have the new covenant and that we are living under the new covenant. That we are worshiping that uh, that which the Lord Jesus gave us, not that which was handed down to the Israelites through angels. Remember Paul's first reference to these. Principles; these elementary principles, is in Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 4, where he says that Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. He says something similar to the Colossian believers, where we were looking earlier, when he says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Now, let me just try to wrap this up in a bow. We believers live in this old age. It is still here. It's still trying to drag us down. Okay? But we've been delivered from it. And we must remember, very important here, we've not talked about this, that we are not wrestling with people who are still a part of this old age. However, we are wrestling with the mediators of the elementary principles of the world. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood... But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. All right. Anybody? Question? Why (laughs) is it so hard to like to not battle against flesh and blood? to battle and go into the spirit. I mean, it seems it seems hard. I mean, we want to like maybe criticize some body or somebody instead of praying for them, or instead of um, you know taking it to God in prayer. And it's, we want to battle the individual. We do want to battle the individual. Yeah, because we still live in this this evil present evil world. We still live in it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It'd be nice if we didn't still live in it. Right? And uh, I think that, uh, Alan, you spoke this morning. Oh, I just lost it. But you were saying something this morning about how, no, the storm is not small, right? And that's, that's, that's it. Sometimes there's this over optimistic view of the world now that we're saved or that is, tri- that is put out there. But the, no, we're still living in this present evil world. And, and that, that would be a wrong approach. Yeah, absolutely. I was encouraged this morning by a lot of the prayer that took place because of that. Yes, sir? In my background, as Steve pointed out this morning, being charismatic, I've always read Ephesians and it's you know, used for a lot, instructing people to go to spiritual warfare. But you've just taken the elementary principles or the laws of the Jews and the Gentiles Equated them to being elementary spirits that set those up. And now we're saying that our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against these spirits. So, instead of us fighting against things, are you, is, when you tie it into the Ephesians, are you saying that this wrestle, not with flesh and blood, is against these spirits that seek to enslave us again? Mm-hmm. No, I'm saying when we're fighting against... Well, let me try this. Let me try this. Okay, so we have the Old World old world Order, okay, in which we still live. Then we have the Jewish Order, okay, in the Old Covenant. Okay, so let's just put Jewish here. Jewish. Okay, and that lasted till when? AD 70. And then we had... Uh, Death, burial, and resurrection, the finished work of Christ, okay? And I'm going to put this one up, or maybe it should be down, because we have the second coming, okay? All right, so we're going to call this the new, okay? New's got a W, all right? So, we're still living here, this has come to an end, this lasted for 70 years, Okay? So, we're still living here. We've been delivered from here, but this is still going on. So, there's the battle. Okay? We're trying to rescue the perishing who are here. So, this is the battle. We're not fighting with the people here. We're fighting for the people here. And who's behind this? Okay? There are principles. The principles are the building blocks. The mediators are the demonic. Okay? So you have the principles and the spirits. Okay? Can, you, can you summarize it? These principles that we're talking about are the the, pr- human... the principles are do and be blessed. Do and be blessed. That's what do and be blessed. Okay? Do and be blessed. We are blessed and do. Why are we blessed? Because Jesus became the curse. We've been given the Holy Spirit, therefore we do. So we shouldn't do any less, right? That's not an excuse. That's not an excuse for antinomianism, right? Which means we don't have a law. We have the law of the Spirit of Christ. This is do and be blessed. You can name the religion, right? I need another color. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Do and blessed. This is uh, blessed. That's important. And do. This is why we say we don't, we're not Old Covenant people. Right? That's the best summary I can give it, or the short summary in all of it. Okay? So we don't do less. We don't say, I'm saved, I don't have anything to do. We say, I'm saved, man, I'm going to go do. Why do, do you think martyrs became martyrs? He said, I'm blessed. I'm not going to back down from pressure. Okay? And these were the last days of the Jewish aeon, right here. Well, that was, it ended right there. All right, now look at verse number 10. He's going, to keep, he's going to equate them again. Look at verse 10. You observe days, months, and seasons and years. Anybody recognize what he's pointing at there? You observe days, months, seasons, and years. Yep, that's Hebrew, isn't it? Look what he's he's tying them again, tying them tying them together again. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Again, see Paul equating adherence to these Jewish observances required by the law to pagan bondage. The resurrection of Christ and the advent of the spirit have made them null and void, obs- uh, obsolete and meaningless. Here we live now, okay? All right, I'll say it again. The laws themselves were not demonic, but to return to them was. Now, verse number 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. So now here's an important principle here as well. We've got the questions. I don't know if you noticed. We've been putting questions on the tables for you to discuss the things we talked about in here. Hope that you will do that, at least part of the time that you're fellowshipping during Lord's Supper. Paul spent three and a half chapters now on theology. And now this is his first imperative, that is telling them what to do. What does he do? He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm free from all worldly bondage, become as I am, free from all worldly bondage. So he uses the gospel as the basis for his commands. Now, he, what, what the point here is he's used three and a half chapters of theology to give his first imperative. So the the, the difference is, is that he's using the gospel. Okay? Not Old Testament commands. It's simple to say, like when your kids are little, clean your room before you go to school, right? Or start your schoolwork. Right? Number two, clean off your clean off the table after supper time. Right? That's simple. That's easy. Right? That's how the Old Covenant was done, wasn't it? But under the New Covenant, look, it took three and a half chapters just to give one to do. Okay? And so, but we're New Covenant believers, so it takes a bit more. He's using the gospel for motivation on what to do. It's a bit more work. It's a lot more work. Okay? And then he becomes very fatherly when he says this phrase, You did me no wrong, very fatherly and lovingly. So he's now taking a reprieve from his combative rhetoric to remind the Galatian people that they can trust him as he moves forward. Verse 13, you know that it was because of a bodily ailment. So Paul is once again making himself the paradigm here, making himself the model. He's pointing out very personal issues about himself. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial for you. That's quite interesting, isn't it? You did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. Very interesting. What then has become of your blessedness? What's happened here? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Well, this is a really, really insightful and personal um, uh, little section here. Paul reminds the Galatians of how he preached, even within his own illness, and how that even though it might have been difficult for them, they received him as God's messenger, so much that they were willing to give their own eyes. Now, is this a reference to his infirmity? Was Paul's thorn an eye disease? Did it make him hard to look at? Is this why in the last chapter, verse number 11, he says, you see that, Uh, You see what big letters I make when I write with my own hand? Or is it just an expression of the times where you say something like, you know, you're willing to gouge out your own eyes for me. We have similar expressions. Either way, he reminds them of the love, devotion, and trust they have for him. And then he says these words, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Every Bible teacher has been here. You do your best to speak the truth in love and you become the enemy. And what do you do? Well, I know what Paul's going to do. He's going to tell him the truth anyway, isn't he? That's all you can do. I can't believe you said that. Well, get ready because I'm about to say some more. That's all I can do. If I stop here, I'm not helping you. If I go on, I might offend you more. But the only way to help is just to keep telling you more truth. Verse 17, they make much of you. Look what what these, these legalists are doing. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present, but huh, no, it doesn't say but, sorry, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Let's try to draw let's try to draw a picture for you here. Paul makes the point that the Judaizers are puffing up the Galatians only to isolate and own them. Boy, that's something we always have to keep our eyes open. Isn't it? Now, the apostle is more than willing for other true teachers and leaders to have a part in their lives, but he won't sit by and let the wolves have them. His anguish, his labor pains, his travail in Christ, or his travail is that Christ is formed in them nothing more and nothing less. What does that mean? That means we have to face the facts. What are the facts? The facts are that there are forces out to destroy each and every one of us. That takes us right back to the beginning. People apostatize. We're not pointing out individuals, but there are rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers over this present darkness and spiritual forces of evil who would like nothing more than to pull us away from our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and would like to pull us back into bondage, isolate us, and take us away from our first love, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, we work to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and to take every thought captive to obey Christ. I was reading in Judges this week. If you follow the same Bible reading plan I do, you were as well. There was a generation that had become comfortable living with the Canaanites, intermarrying, worshiping their gods. Does that sound familiar to any other generation you've been around? Maybe one in this nation? Here's what it says in those first two verses of Judges chapter 3. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. We really haven't fought for what we have, have we? Has it been hard to get here? Has it been hard to have this church? really hasn't, has it? Verse number 2. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. I began to think, might we be a generation that needs to learn to fight, persevere, and endure? Maybe we are being challenged to understand what it truly means to live in new creation. Maybe we have gotten comfortable living close with old creation. Maybe we have gotten comfortable letting our children intermarry in old creation. Maybe we're being challenged. Let's not forget 2 Timothy 3:12. I wrote this when I was in the army. I wrote this uh, on big pieces of paper and hung it in my room. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Do we really suffer persecution? Now, we shouldn't go looking for it, right? You're an unbeliever. WHAT! Now I'm being persecuted. That's not what we're supposed to do. Why must we learn to war? Why is it those who live uh, godly in Christ Jesus suffer persecution? Religious forces are at work against us. I say this because all forces are actually religious, including secularism. They worship. Now, we're not talking about people who are weak in the faith, but we're talking about well-defined hermeneutics and theological schematics that teach bondage as a way of life. That's why people lost their jobs over getting certain shots. That's why people lose their jobs over not being willing to say, I don't know what a woman is. I don't know what a man is. I don't know what marriage is. I'm not suggesting you go look for trouble. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you should get mad at someone who has those opinions. I'm just suggesting to you that there are religious forces all around us. You remember the story of the Samaritan woman at a well? and Jesus was hanging out with her. You remember how shocked the apostles were? There are a couple reasons for that. One, she's a Samaritan. But what always happened in the Old Testament when a man and a woman were at a well? Young love first love. That's what happened. They knew those stories, they knew what the setup was, and there's Jesus hanging out with this woman at a well. They went on a story, and Jesus slowly began to reveal himself, right? And she said to him, She said, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. What did Jesus say to her? Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. What did he say? Or what did he continue to say? You worship what you do not know. That's our generation in this country. We worship what we know, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This is what we're talking about right here. That's what we're talking about right here. Worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. That's what new creation is, folks. Worshiping the Father in spirit and truth. Look at the last verse, verse 20. But I could wish to be present with you now... And to change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. So here again we see the great love and concern in Paul's preference for being with the Galatian people. But he is certainly confused. And why is he confused? Well, because they know his personal history. They've received the Spirit. And this is the only place freedom can be found. Remember, no one was free before Christ came. Right? Were pagans free? Were Gentiles free? Yes or no? Were the Jews free? Yes or no? No one was free. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Even the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. Why would they ever want to go back under the law of Moses? Moses. And then with that, starting in verse number 21, he presents a very insightful allegory. By the way, just to remind you what we're talking about, we talk about the law. We're not talking about the Hebrew scriptures. He uses the Hebrew scriptures, showing us that there's much value in the Old Testament as scripture. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow him in complete obedience to his word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with him deepened.